Testament. And the reason it's one of my favorite books in the New Testament is because it reaches back into the story of the Old Testament and demonstrates how Jesus continues this story. This is where the Old and the New Testaments meet. And I don't mean that just in our paperback Bibles, though that's true. I mean that in the overall sweep of redemptive history. Basically, all that God had done in the past has now found its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, it's been a while, I know that, since we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, but pop quiz, does anyone recall what the first four chapters were about? Who is Matthew introducing to us? It's a Sunday school answer. Who is Matthew introducing to us? Jesus, right. Who is Jesus? That could be the banner over those four chapters, like a biography. Who is this person, right? Who is Jesus? Where is he from? How does he enter the world? Why does he enter the world? What does he proclaim to the world? Who is Jesus? All right, I know it's been a fair bit. I understand that since we've been, you're like, oh yeah, and all of a sudden I'm like, I, I remember that now. It's, gosh, it's been months now. Fair enough. So what I thought we would do is actually watch a very quick video clip that might help us bring us our minds back up to speed to the Gospel of Matthew. And these are helpful um, Bible clips. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let you watch, watch just a few minutes of it. It'll cut off about four minutes in or so, so we won't watch the whole thing. But you can watch it later if you'd like. Let's take a look. The Gospel according to Matthew. It's one of the earliest official accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, and his long block of Jesus' teaching. Now this design is very intentional and it's amazing. Just watch how this works. Chapters 1 through 3, they set the stage by attaching Jesus' story right onto the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. So Matthew opens with a genealogy about Jesus that highlights how he is from the messianic line of the son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. That means he's going to bring God's blessing to all of the nations. After that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how all of the events fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises, that the nations would come and honor the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but even more than that, 
Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, his name Emmanuel, all these work together to show that Jesus is no mere human. He is God with us. God become human. So you can see two of Matthew's key themes right here in the introduction. He's from the line of David. He's Emmanuel. But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism. And he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised greater than Moses figure who's going to deliver Israel from slavery. He's going to give them new divine teaching. He's going to save them from their sins and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah. Now in the first section, chapters 4 to 7, Jesus steps onto the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is really key. The kingdom is in essence about God's rescue operation for his whole world. And it's taking place through King Jesus. Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil, and his whole legacy of demon oppression and disease and death. Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings, and live under his rule. So, after Jesus begins healing people and forming a movement, a community, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hillside, and he delivers his first big block of teaching, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's kingdom. And it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. So the poor, the nobodies, the wealthy, the religious, everybody is invited and is called to turn, to repent, and to follow Jesus and join his family. But Jesus says that he's not here to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teaching. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God Love their neighbor. To be continued. I don't want to, I actually want to preach, not have that bloke do it, so. Anyway. How many of you enjoy famous speeches? A famous speech, do you know what I mean? Speech, sorry. Um, can I read a couple to you? See if you can recognize what part of history they're from and who gave them. Ready? The hour of departure has arrived, and we go our ways. I to die, and you to live. Which is better? God only knows. Here's the next speech. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. A couple decades later, going across the Atlantic now. Because I have a dream. 
that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Last one. We may, we may say, God save the queen. Because nothing will save the governor general. <laughs> now, each one of those four sound bites are almost immediately recognizable. I heard, I heard you guys shouting out names, right? Right there being, as some of them are being some of the most famous speeches of all time, at least of recent time. But there's one speech which is even more famous than any of those that I just read. One speech which has impacted more lives than any of these. It was delivered in almost 2,000 years ago, and it's been carefully preserved and transmitted down through the ages so that we might learn from it today. I'm talking about the most famous sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Now, I understand if you look at the bulletin, the title of today's talk is a little ambiguous, the most famous sermon, maybe you read that, or maybe we posted that somewhere, and you went, wow, the most famous sermon. I should have brought my friends. Our pastor is going to give the most famous sermon. That is amazing. Um, I'm not talking about my sermon. You know, I'm not going to come out here on a pogo stick and do, you know, a big gainer off the stage or whatever, right? Um, though that might be kind of cool. Um, this sermon today, well, yeah, it's probably going to be more of an ordinary sermon, but I am going to be preaching from and introducing the most famous sermon. But in all seriousness, I want you to feel the weight of this. I want you to feel the gravity of this. When we think about the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount throughout the history of the church has been the single most quoted studied, and preached upon portion of the whole Bible, hands down. There, there have actually been, several of them, whole books written. One of them, I've, I have it on my Amazon wish list, it's 2,000 pages long, and it's a whole book, not on this bloke's interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, but he's giving an overview of how people have read, interpreted, studied, understood the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Craig Blomberg, in his commentary on Matthew, gives 36 different views of the Sermon on the Mount. 36 different views on the Sermon on the Mount. You might ask, wow, what on earth? That is, that is a lot, right? I mean, what... Why is this the case? Well, part of the reason is, if you just think about this, Matthew, as I said, is where the Old and New Testament meet. This is the first book in the New Testament. And so this is the very first, this is the very first message, as it were, the very first discourse in the New Testament, which for Christians, that's significant for us. Also, just stop and think about all the famous sayings in the Sermon on the Mount. Many people, will, you'll hear them. Even secular people will quote them, Right? Things like, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Hey, listen, you want to get your non-Christian friends, you want to get your non-Christian friends to quote Bible, just say one thing is a sin or wrong, and they will inevitably quote to you, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Don't judge. 
take the plank out of your own eye, right? Or how about this one? Turn the other cheek, okay? Or do unto others as you would what? That's the golden rule. All those phrases I just said, all those little pithy sayings are all right here just contained in these few chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. Not to mention, you've got key parts in the sermon, very key parts that have now become part of, of people's liturgy in a church, that what they do to express to worship God, like the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We were singing a song just a moment ago that essentially outlined the Lord's Prayer. Did you catch that? We pray for heaven, right? Yours is the kingdom. That's, that's from the Lord's Prayer. Or, or how about Jesus' teaching on divorce? How about Jesus giving his interpretation of the Old Testament, the law? Or can a believer, as we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, can a believer take oaths or not? Can a believer swear, take an oath or not? You have to understand there's whole traditions that have developed, whole denominations that have developed out of passages just like do not swear at all, either by heaven or earth, for it is God's throne, right? Do you guys know the passage I'm talking about? Don't take an oath. Simply yes, yes, no. There's whole, like the Mennonite tradition, right? The Mennonite tradition says, oh, well, you know, hey, we can't, we can't take oaths. The Anabaptists, going back, say, you know, 500 years, 400 years, give or take, well, we can't, we can't go to war. We have, to, we have to be what's called a pacifist, right? If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Well, we believe that. And so we can't go to war. Some of you have seen the movie recently, Hacksaw Ridge. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Where the guy, is it Hacksaw Ridge? Ross, help me. Yeah, you haven't watched it. I got it. Mm-hmm. Jeff, thank you. In that, in that movie, if you've seen it, he can't, right? He's like, I, I, can't, I can't go to war. But if, then he goes to war, but he's like, I refuse to fire the gun. Well, why is he doing that? He's coming out of a tradition that says, don't take oaths, don't go to war, turn the other cheek. So, so again, this, this Sermon on the Mount has, has heavily influenced people over the years. Um, how about the idea of calling God Father? That's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, these are just to name a few. So where do we even begin in trying to wrap our hands around this massive, this mammoth, pun intended, this mammoth of a sermon, this massive sermon? Well, here's what I'd like to do this morning. Here's what I'd like to ponder. Just two simple questions. What is it, that is, when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, what is it and how should we read it? Pretty simple enough, right? What is it? How should we read it? Now, we need prayer in answering those two questions. I need your prayer in answering those two questions. So before we try to answer them, let's look to the Lord now in prayer, shall we? Father, just as your son, the Lord Jesus, taught his disciples on a hillside in Galilee, so we ask that you would teach us now. And as you teach us by your spirit, through your word, Please give us ears to hear. It's in the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen. Okay, so what is it? Let's, to answer that, to answer that, what is it? We have to understand, we have to see the Sermon on the Mount in a context. In a context. Remember, there are four chapters of narrative prior to this, and then after the Sermon on the Mount, you have 21 chapters, right? 
So it's not a standalone. It's not a standalone text. What happens in 4.17? If you have your Bible there, you can see it. What happens in Matthew 4.17? Well, Jesus calls for repentance, right? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you see that? Kingdom of heaven has arrived. And then, and then, still in that, that narrative there, he calls his first disciples. And then when Ralph just read those two passages in chapter 4 and 9, you can see a connection there. Let me show you what I mean. Look at 4.23. 4.23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, look at this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Okay, now, now put a finger there. And, and just, I know Ralph just read this for us, but go to 9.35. Put a finger there. Look at 9.35. And see if you can discern the parallel, see the connection. It's almost verbatim here between these two passages. And it's going to make sense. It's going to make sense. You're like, why am I doing this? I'm trying to help you see a broader picture of the Sermon on the Mount in its context. That's what we're doing here. 9.35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Sound familiar? Well, and healing every disease and every affliction. In both these passages, he's teaching and healing with the result that people are what? They're following him, right? This is now a unit. In other words, don't lose me. Or, or yeah, I shouldn't lose you or however you want to say that. Okay, I hope this is helpful. Here's the whole reason I'm saying this. Matthew is a work of art. Okay, this is a, this is a beautiful literary piece. Because chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, remember, hopefully the video helped you a little bit with that. Chapters 1 2 is who Jesus is. It's a narrative, right? We're seeing his life and birth and Herod and all, all those crazy things. Okay, narrative. Now he's healing, right? The kingdom is now ushering in, right? The gospel of the kingdom. And then he pulls in his disciples. There's crowd there too, but he addresses his disciples. And now you've got this chunk right after you have narrative. Now you have what's called discourse. Discourse, you following with me? And then after the Sermon on the Mount, what do you have in chapters eight and nine? What do you have? You have healing, right? What's happening there? Teaching and healing and following, which is exactly what he just said in chapter four. So this is sort of a bookend. Does that make sense? And then in chapter nine, he, he again closes off that bookend. And then in chapter 10, guess what you've got again? Discourse again. Following with me? Maybe I should go this way. Dan taught me you want to go this way because you guys are facing the opposite direction if you're reading, okay? So, Dan, if you're listening, be proud. So, narrative one, two, three, and four. Discourse, narrative, discourse. Tracking with me? This is a masterpiece. It's wonderful. It's a piece of art. And you have to realize by the time we get this final form of Matthew, Matthew has been working on this now for over 30 years. This is his magnum opus, as it were. And by the, by the time we 
get Matthew. He's been preaching, discipling, teaching, recalling, remembering, writing, thinking, crafting this portrait of who Jesus is. We get this final beautiful piece. It's a beautiful piece of art. Also, Matthew would have likely envisioned this being read out loud. They didn't have leather-bound Bibles back then or iPhones. Like, oh yeah, cool, I'm, I'm seeing the connection. People in church, if you were to come to church, it was read out loud. The original readers, the original readers of Matthew heard it as a verbal and oral document. Today we experience it, right, as a reading with our own eyes silently in a cafe or, you know, at our house or whatever. But throughout the mo- most of human history, most communication w- has been oral and audio, not literary. Even in the first century among Jewish people, literacy rates were probably around 10%. The only people who could read or write were the very wealthy who were also very educated. Matthew was an educated and wealthy man, right, being a tax collector. And almost all his hearers were not literate. Now, why do I say all of that? Because we need to understand the way Matthew is writing is highly structured for our ears. Follow me? Highly structured for the way we're hearing it. So here's what I'd like to do. On that note, here's what I would like to do. I would like to actually read the entire Sermon on the Mount. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to zone out and think about what you're going to have for lunch as I read. <laughs> and start texting your friends. No, 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 no. Of course I don't. I'm joking, right? Everybody, if you don't already have a pen and pencil, it might be helpful. If you don't want to, that's fine. I realize that, you know, uh, in the 21st century in a Western world, it's like, I don't get told what to do. Fine, you don't have to do this, right? No one's forcing you to do it. But here's what I want to do. If you have a pen, great. If you have some notes, great. I want to read this to you. Because again, think, this was for the ears. And for this experiment, I'd I'd ask you this. Please don't follow along in your paperback Bibles or your phones. Just try to hear it. Just try to listen. Okay, if you want to follow along, right, no one's going to grab you by the shoulder and try to throw you out of here. Fine, that's... But, but I want to try this experiment of just, just having, having it wash over you, having you just hear it. And here's what I want you to do. All right? It's going to be very easy for you to be like, uh, hearing me drone on now. I could start to sound like Charlie Brown, right? <laughs> At least that's how the adults or teachers sound in Charlie Brown. Have you noticed that? They have their own language, but then when the teacher and adult talks, it's quite interesting. But I don't, we don't want... We don't want that to be the case. Look, you're already here. You can't go anywhere. I mean, you suppose you could run out of here, but you might as well take this time when I read for the, it takes about 12 minutes. So when I read for the next 12 minutes, think about the words, and here's what I want you to do. Jot down some observations. And honestly, if you feel comfortable enough, well, I, I want to ask you, just in a sentence or two, I'll say, you know, if you raise your hand and you can say, hey, here's, here's what I caught as you read it. And, you know, in a sentence or two, right? We don't want to be here all day. But in a sentence or two, hey, here's one thing that that I observed as you read that. Here's one thing that I noticed. Maybe I I didn't notice it. Or maybe it was just, you know, 
reaffirmed or whatever. Okay, so, and let me say this. If you're tuning in online, we're listening to you, or, you're, or actually you're listening to us. If you're tuning in online right now, you're not off the hook, okay? I, I, don't, I shouldn't look anyone because you're not tuning in. If you're tuning in online right now, you're not off the hook. Grab a pen and paper. Okay. We don't have a live stream. I'm just saying for those that are listening. Okay. Are you ready? Everyone got their pens, papers, pencils? Or just, you know, write it on your arm, put it on your phone, whatever. Here we go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret." And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or will he be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you apart. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Curious, we'll take just a couple moments. Anything that jumped out at you? I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested. Yes. Yeah, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Yeah. And we'll see more and more why, you know, how that is developed, right? And why it's there. And yeah. Anyone else? Rob? Yeah, a couple of times uh, you mentioned uh, praying in secret. Mm. Well, you'll have to come back. <laughs> Rob just said, and you know, a lot about praying in secret, and interested to hear that. I, my, <clears throat> my dad's uh, best mate said, well, that's why I don't go to church, because you guys don't pray in secret. <laughs> Are you convinced by that? Don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. Okay. Yeah, yes? Yeah. Sorry. Mm. Very good. That's a, that's a huge theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount over here. Do not judge others. That's right. It's interesting with that too, though. Then he says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. And then he says, watch out for false prophets. So it's not like Jesus is the ultimate tolerant guy, right? We'll get to that, though. Like I said, Rob, keep coming. Oh, yeah. You're not the first person to read it that way. That's right. So um, Rhonda said his standard is just so high it's impossible. That's how Martin Luther actually read this whole sermon and said the entire point of the sermon is to crush us with the law and to realize that we need gospel. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll observe those things. There is some truth to that, but then there's also some, yeah, anyway. Joy? Sorry? Do what the word says. Yeah, that's right. Maybe just time for one or two more. Fun one? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. If you keep coming back, too, we'll unpack that. All right, last one.
Mm. Yeah, as citizens in the kingdom, right? Because some people would say, well, this is sort of the general ethics. This is a sort of existential ethics for the world, for society, and that's how we should read it. Now, don't get me wrong. If people were turning the other cheek and not stealing, would, would the Central Coast be a better place? <laughs> Absolutely, right? But is that what the whole, I know you're not saying this, but is that, is that the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, how do we read it then? What is it? I want to talk a little bit more about what it is, and then we'll talk about how we read it. So what is it, right? Now, as, as I read, did any of you sort of picture in your mind's eye, as it were, this place where he's on some kind of a mountain and maybe there's a throng of people surrounding him, boys, girls, men, women, elderly, everyone in between, and he's just, Jesus is just sort of talking, right? And he's, maybe he's, maybe he's using his hands, maybe he's not, maybe, did you sort of, maybe some of you pictured some of those things. It's interesting, Jesus did give this sermon on a hillside in Galilee. You can actually, Galilee's not a big place, you can actually go to Galilee today. If you do, you might even happen to see strange, surfy American dudes like this guy that I saw there. Um, so now that's me several years ago. And that's the, so this likely would have been the location, but no one knows that for sure. Um, there's a massive Catholic monastery just to the right, right here. Um, but this, it's a beautiful area. They've got all kinds of gardens there. And um, it would have looked somewhat like this because you can see that's the, that's the Sea of Galilee, quote, sea, it's a lake. But that's the Sea of Galilee behind me in the background there. And um, I've, I've got the Bible open to the Sermon on the Mount, but you can't see that there. So anyway, I had my wife take this picture. But um, thanks, Jacob, for putting that up. But it's interesting. Um, Jesus preached the sermon, no doubt, but it's, but it's also likely this is a compilation of teachings, given by Jesus, which Matthew has brought together. Hear it this way. In other words, the teaching is that of Jesus, but the arrangement is that of Matthew. You tracking with me? So, it, I mean, it took me, whatever, 12, 13, 14, however long minutes. It's not like Jesus stood up where I just was standing and said, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, blessed or this, da-da-da-da. And then when he was done, people said, wow. And he says, thanks, folks. My name's Jesus. I'll be here all week. See you later. It's, oh, man, someone, I hope someone wrote that down. We didn't have, we, someone didn't get a chance to record it, right? I mean, whoo, that's the Sermon on the Mount. That was it. I mean, we know that when Jesus is teaching throughout the gospel, sometimes he's, he's teaching so long that it goes into dinner time, right? And that's why, hence, the four and 5,000 people are fed. And so we know that this is likely a collection of teachings. Now, Jesus taught it, but it's both and. Does that make sense? It's, it's a, the teaching is that of Jesus, but the arrangement is that of Matthew. Now, Matthew lays out what he lays out here, and I like how R.T. France says this in his commentary. He says, this is a discourse on discipleship. I like that. Because Jesus has, you know, he's likely popular during this time. He's got 48 million Twitter followers right? He's got 518 billion followers on Facebook, etc., etc., etc. A lot of people are saying, hey, we got to come hear this guy. But Jesus 
pulls back, goes up on a mountain like Moses, right? Goes up on a mountain, gives the law as it were, true interpretation of the law, and we'll get there next week, come here, right? And he's talking to whom? It's not just general, like, hey, let me just throw this out there to everyone that's ever going to live in this world. No, no, no. He's talking to who? His disciples, right? And what's a key, what is a key phrase? What is a key phrase? It's the focus is on the kingdom of God, right? Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom, right? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then if you drop down, there's this sandwich in the Beatitudes. You guys remember that? Right? Blessed are you, uh, let's, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven. Jesus says things like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. How are we supposed to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So, and then what is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount? Right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the what? The kingdom of heaven. So the Sermon on the Mount is about receiving, entering, and living in the kingdom of God. The sermon is instructing people on what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. What it looks like when the king reigns in every sphere of a believer's life. When your kids ask for ice cream from one parent who says no, and they go to another parent, they are demonstrating uncanny theological discernment. Because they understand, I want to come under the authority of a different king. Because they will go to one monarch of the house, typically the queen, and say, can I please have ice cream with sprinkles on it? Right? To which this queen often says, sometimes, no. So they ask, Dad, can I have ice cream with sprinkles on it? Now, if this monarch <clears throat> is wise, he knows that a kingdom divided against itself <laughs> cannot stand, right? And so he'll ask, well, what did the queen say? What did mom say? But at this point, the child might think to themselves, look, I'm not flourishing under this kingdom or under this king and queen's rule. I'd like to be a part of a different kingdom and live by a different set of values and rules. And you know, as adults, we do the same thing. I don't like what God's word is saying about marriage. I don't like what God's word is saying about forgiveness, giving mercy. So I'm going to find something else. Perhaps a friend or a book that tells me what I want to hear. I want a different king. I want to belong to a different kingdom. And friends, the Sermon on the Mount will confront you again and again and again who the real king is and what it means to live under his rule. Listen, people from the coast, as they come into this church, as they darken these doors, 
walk in and sit down, as they walk in here, I hope all they see, I hope all they see is not simply, oh, people are really nice here and they offered me a coffee afterwards. But see a difference in the way that Wyoming Church of Christ lives in obedience to Jesus. How they love and forgive each other. Listen, if, if you're a Christian, you're, you could, and I, I know what I love, one of the things I love about this church is we have various nationalities. I mean, you've got a Yankee preaching now. And the people come in here from all different nationalities. Right? And no matter what nationality you have, your citizenship ultimately is in the kingdom of God. So when you ask, what is the Sermon on the Mount? That should be in the forefront of our minds. This is a discourse on discipleship. This is kingdom living, as that video showed. It's sort of upside-down living. John Stott calls it countercultural living. Right? The world would look at some of the things that were just read in here and say, that is preposterous. That is nonsense. Who would ever do things like that? No, I'm not going to give forgiveness. You know how that person hurt me? Jesus calls on us, though, as citizens in his kingdom to be the type of people who show love and who forgive. So, that needs to be on the forefront of our minds when we ask the question, what is it? Now, how should we read it? I mean, have you ever wondered? I know when I first read the Sermon on the Mount, when I was a new Christian, I was quite confused by it. I was a bit confused by it, right? Because I thought, hold on, you've got people going to the temple to offer sacrifices? I thought Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And we're sort of commended at that point? What's going on here? How about when Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Man, how is, it, how is this going to work out for me? Not well. It's my prayer that we'll be able to better read the Sermon on the Mount with every passing week, that our understanding will have a fuller, richer, deeper meaning as we trek up this mountain, as it were, of the Sermon on the Mount. That we sort of go and say, aha, and by the Spirit's illumination, light bulbs are turning on, we're saying, we're getting a better reading of this now. For now, here's what I want to do. Just two simple things, and we'll close. When you ask, how should I read it? Because ultimately, I mean, that's, that's, that's really a huge prayer I have for you guys, that you'll read this better. You'll have a fuller, deeper, broader reading of this text. Because even some of the things that people were sharing, some of them were almost, some of them were in continuity, and some of them were actually in discontinuity. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's interesting, I won't point out names here, but one person would say this, and that's almost like the antithesis of what that other person just said. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I think they were different. Okay? Now, Here's two simple things. Just two simple things. And if you're tracking along in the Bible reading, by the way, I'm not going to shame you. If you haven't, hey, get back up. Let's grab your Bible. That's right, keep going. Let's do it. But, but this next coming week, I believe we're going to be jumping into the Sermon on the Mount together. And so, or maybe the week following, but it's soon. So as you read, as you read, and as we come here, and as we digest each of these 
sermons from the Sermon on the Mount, here are two things. Take a good look at Jesus, number one. Take a good look at Jesus, right? Because think about this. It says that the crowds were astonished because he taught as one who had authority. Who is this person who talks like this? Right? I mean, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are this. And then he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. I mean, can you imagine if I said something like that? Hey, when you go out there this week, rejoice and be glad on my account. You're like, I don't know who you think you are. Or, or how about, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. I mean, who talks like that? You don't catch any prophets saying, I know the Torah says this, but I say Jeremiah the prophet. No, 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 no. So what who speaks with, and we'll talk about what those phrases are. You've heard that it was said, but I say. Um, how about, again, when you take a good look at Jesus and you ask, who is this person? There is a scary scene at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when people say, oh, Lord, we prophesied in your name, right? We served in our local church, as it were, in your name. We passed out bulletins. We sang on the worship team. I'm sure, I'm, I don't have anyone in mind. I'm just trying to rattle off things that we do here at Wyoming, right? We did all these things in your name, and Jesus say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. Again, who talks like that with such authority? I mean, if you come to the end of your life and I never knew you, like, who cares, right? It's like, come to the end of your life and Rob Jenner's like, I never knew you. <laughs> so what? I'd like to get to know all of you. But ultimately, that isn't, that's not going to determine your eternal destiny. You know, people will say, well, yeah, I know God. I know God. I know Jesus. I've made a commitment to Jesus. Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. Sure, fair enough. But does God know you? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Now, again, you have to ask, take a good look at Jesus. Because the sermon compels you to look at Christ and hear him say, are you with me? Are you with me? This is what kingdom living looks like. A lot of people will say in a very broad evangelical world today, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, there was once a time. There was once a time when I went to a camp and I cried. I felt really terrible about it. You know, of course, my life hasn't really changed since then, but you know, hey, real tears. I pay my taxes. I'm not as big of a rat bag as my neighbor. You know, whatever. Well, is that, is that truly a time when you really came to know the Lord that you turned from sin? Oh, you know, there once was a time when, yeah, I was, I was praying and I, I noticed the clouds broke and the sunshine came down. Well, that might be kind of cool, but do you understand your sin? And have, you, have you turned from that sin and you know God and you're living in his kingdom now? I'm not doubting that that wasn't a cool experience. But if you've been born again, you know, throughout this whole sermon, friend, you may conclude, I don't know if I'm actually a Christian. Perhaps I need to be born again. I need a Savior. And that's a good thing. And that's a prayer that I have for a lot of you. So take a good look at yourself, right? 
is the next point. So take a good look at Jesus. And the next one would be related, sort of, take a good look at yourself. So when we go through the sermon, ask yourself this. Does this describe me? Is, is this the reign and rule in my life? Is this the kingdom I'm living in? The sermon is going to probe every area of your life, your character, your self-control, your ambition, your relationships, your commitment. Get ready for it. It's like a knife, a surgical knife. It's going to come in and cut deep. But the Lord will help you. And again, oh, there's so much. I don't want to give away the whole farm here, but I'm very excited for this. Honestly, there's going to be, there's a... There's a lot of areas. As, as I even stood up just now and I read that, I went, I don't want to teach on that. <laughs> and people are like, I can't wait to come back in a couple of weeks. The pastor's going to be do, giving a whole sermon on divorce. Are, like, are, is, is that mad? That's like, someone would say that's insanity. Like, what, what, you know, if you church growth 101, when you see like a book, right? Here's something you don't do. In your first year of preaching, give a sermon on divorce. Well, but see, I want us to go through the Bible together and I want us to look at what God's word says and this is what I love about preaching through books of the Bible. It decides, it dictates what I get to preach on. How about preaching on lust? How about preaching on, I mean, I don't want, look, I don't want to teach on those things. But I'm going to feel just as challenged in a lot of these areas as all of you. I need your prayer that that knife scope, it's, it's coming in my life too. And so I'm very excited about it to talk about this kingdom living Bathed in gospel grace, friends. Looking not to ourselves. You don't just stop there. Look to Jesus. Right? The author and perfecter of our faith. This is not going to be just law drop down and you smash every single week and you go, oh man. But there is a bit of that. Again, I don't want to give away the farm here. But there's also this idea of human flourishing that we talked about in the Beatitudes. That this is the way that God has truly intended us to live in his kingdom. Sound good? I'm excited. Be here next week. Bring your friends. They missed the famous sermon in the world apparently today. But um, hopefully that was helpful. Look, one thing I wanted to say, if you don't have a sermon helper, um, you can grab one. Actually, uh, there was one up there. It looked like they're gone. But um, talk to see Jillian because I gave some helpful little guidelines and tips of reading the sermon um, that may be helpful to you. It kind of looks like I wrote a book. So, um, yeah, you can look at those throughout the week and discuss them. So, let's pray now. Father, that, thank you that um, we can call you Father. Thank you for this time to think about this this sermon that, Lord, that your spirit inspired Matthew to pin down and write for our growth and edification and challenge. And Lord, help us to take a good look at your son, Jesus. Help us also to take a good look at ourselves. We pray that you prepare hearts and minds. Lord, we cannot in our own strength and our own willingness come here each week with teachable hearts. We need you to do that for us. We need you to break us. So Lord, would you come and, and give us hearts that are teachable and moldable? Um, thank you, Lord, that in the new covenant we can have a, a heart that is able to know you and 
We pray that that would be a reality as we, as we unpack the Sermon on the Mount. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be loving and, and gracious and to be steadfast in the truth that's there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm really excited.